Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. Howdy and hello. <laughs> Waiting for the date. Well, Pop I'm there. Off. Okay. Can you believe it's the 26th of January? I can. 26th of January. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It is. We had um, a daughter birthday a few days ago. Mm -hmm. We have a granddaughter birthday tomorrow. Yes. Just a lot of birthdays all mm -hmm. over the place. Yeah. Yeah, January's a big birthday month for our family, but for... Everyone. Everyone, yeah. A lot of people have a birthday in January. Yep. It is. Yes. Isn't it a lovely morning? <laughs> it is. A, Are you all right? <laughs> it's a day of great happiness and joy and uh -oh. comfort and you must goodness. have a, a hard message. Um, well, I'm sure I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about you? Uh, you know, I think it's good. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. I just felt like you were trying to melt the butter, soften the... No. Well, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes these things happen, you don't really know. Gotcha. Today's Tuesday. It is. And we're not doing virtual together today. No, we will next week. We will next week. So we are completing our little protocols. Quarantining. And getting ourselves all nice and ready for a robust return next week, mm -hmm. which will give us a little bit of momentum into winter tea. Yeah, which is a month from now, it right? Is. 25th, 26th, 27th, is that right? Four weeks from Thursday. Yeah. We get rocking. And you know, people are registering like crazy right now. Thank you for that. I mean, we may get like 20 a day, but each registration can have anywhere from, you know, two to seven people on it. So. Yeah, and thank you for getting registered. It will help us with the memento. And being able to get um, those prepared and mailed and all that kind of thing. So, yes. yay. And you know, it's virtual. So, if you haven't registered and you want to uh, watch it on your laptop or TV or phone, register. Yeah. You should. Yeah. No reason not to. That's right. And one day we'll be together. Yes. I'm believing for August Rush we get to be together. Oh, I would love that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whenever we're back together, it just has to be where we're able to hug. Because mm -hmm. it's really not the same if we can't hug. Mm -hmm. If we're all social distancing, it's like, meh. <laughs> but if we're hugging, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that'd be I good. Know. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm going to start this morning with a very old-timey refresher. This is 12 mm. years ago. Wow. Terraforming for the Kingdom. And the old days. It really is. Chapter 10, Adulthood. There was a section called <clears throat> Two Houses. And in Two Houses, um, page 78 of the book, I think, I think I've said this a thousand times. It's one of those highly quotables, but it, it's crucial to going where we're going, and I think it's a good reminder just to say it every once in a while, and simply that uh, 12 years ago, Papa was talking to us about the first two kings of Israel, 
um, who we all know, Saul and David. And both were chosen by God. Mm-hmm. And you just take a couple of hours, days, weeks, months, years, and just remember that. Both were chosen by God. But one was later rejected, and the other was accepted. And um, the difference between the two, the one that was accepted, David, um, who was um, appointed by God, um, and he was appointed by God because he had a personal, intimate relationship with God, that transformed him into a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. But it was that personal, intimate relationship with God that he had that um, that caused God to accept him. Whereas Saul, as we know, had a personal, intimate relationship with Samuel. And um, so Saul would not go to God, pour his heart out to God, listen to God, move according to God's move. And because of that, Saul wasn't able to be a royal priest. He wasn't able to be the king and priest in the um, in that order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek. He couldn't operate in that because he didn't have that intimacy. Mm-hmm. And David did. So this is 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. And it's just great to have And Samuel is talking to Saul and says, Now your kingdom will not endure. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So um, what you have is very simply the difference between intimacy. And, And this is a message to you. This is not a message... You know, I mean, obviously the whole world needs to hear this message, but right now I'm talking to the people listening to this podcast. God <clears throat> wants to remind us that the whole point in this is for each one of us to have our own personal, intimate relationship with God. And it is our intimacy with God that transforms us. It is asking God the questions that people don't think to ask him. It just it just never occurs to people to mm-hmm. actually sit down and say, "Hey, Lord, what do you think about this?" You know, instead they just get, you know, these wild ideas and go off and um and depending on intimacy, depending on relationship and covenant, um it can have different impacts. But with sons and daughters of God, if you go running off on your own like that without having that intimate conversation, <clears throat> you could become an obstinate child. You know, the Isaiah 30 verse 1 we talked about and have for many, many years now. But um, Papa wants us to come to him. He wants us to have that intimacy with him and to talk with him. So, um, interestingly, this word appointed, which is what God did, he appointed David to be ruler of his people. And that word is tsava. And tsava. Uh, Hebrew 6680 is one uh, consonant different from Sabah. Um, and in Sabah, you may remember from Restoration and that chapter priests, that word is the same word used for joining the priesthood and for uh, or signing up to serve. It's a choice that we're making. I'm choosing to serve in the priesthood or I'm choosing to serve in the army. But both of those 
um, applications, one word, sabah. This is tasava, which is, is simply tasad vav, hey, instead of tasad uh, bait. And, um, and so when God appoints someone, we have that transliterated, transliterated covenant of tasava, which is submitted and secured for fruitfulness. So God appoints leaders who um, he knows will submit to his ultimate plan. So they serve God because of that. Now, see, one of the things to understand in this is that God is setting an atmosphere for his maturing sons and daughters to change the world. And so in that atmosphere, he's going to move upon the hearts of people to do certain things. And one of them is, is the appointing of leaders. And so that takes us back to last week where we had the joy of talking about Romans 13, verse 1 through 2, that it is God who appoints leaders. And it's amazing to me that that is the exact word that Paul used. Now, again, this is Greek, but still, Paul said this word. He said, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, because there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's Romans 13, 1 through 2. And um, so we have this incredible connection here of God being the one who elects. Wow, Um, that's just a game changer. So from last week back to this week. Um, So today is the 26th of January, as we've already said. And um, what was apparent last week is reality this week. So Joe Biden is now the president of the United States of America. And we know that either the Apostle Paul is um, misguided, God is unfaithful, or God appointed Joe Biden to be the president of the United States of America because God appoints our leaders. And it's, it's crazy because you say this to the world and you will offend a lot of people because um, we all are proponents of love and we're all proponents of free will. And so we look to an election and it's like, you know, isn't this our, you know, our opportunity to choose? And, you know, the, the deeper into the heart of God you go, the more... Uh, on this path of maturity that we walk, we begin to see that these these kinds of um, systems can sometimes feel like um, a theater. You know, it's it's like we're we're all a part of the stage play. You know, and and we might be getting played, and we might not be. The point being is that all of these things give us this illusion that we're affecting something that God is the one who is affecting. It doesn't mean that you should not vote or you should vote. It means that you should follow what God calls you to do. If God calls you to vote, vote. If God calls you not to, don't. The point being is that God is the one who establishes leaders. I believe that. I'm firm in that. And um, that's what Paul said. And interestingly, uh, it's kind of what Jesus said. So Matthew 25, verse 14 through 15, we've talked about a thousand times. So you have this man or this master 
going away on a journey and he calls servants together and entrusts his wealth to them. To one he gives five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So you see how God knows who is capable of responsibility, and he gives that responsibility to people. And this is Jesus giving us this parable of um, the talents. And um, so the moment that Joe Biden became president of the United States of America, we know God appointed him into that spot. And, um, and what a, what a world-changing thing it is for us to know that about all of the leaders. Once again, we see God shaking the world, and politics is a picture of that. So we've once again gone from left, which is in our language is liberal, which is President Obama, to right, which is conservative, which in our language is conservative, President Trump, and now back to left again, which is um, uh, liberal and President Biden. And so you see this shaking going back and forth. Before Obama was Bush, he was right conservative. Before Bush was Clinton, he was left liberal. Before him was the Reagan H.W. Uh, Bush era. Before him was Carter. So we've got this left, right, left, right, left, right, shaking of the world. And the question is, is where are we standing, right? We said this last week. Are we standing on the rock? God shakes the heaven, heavens because he knows that this reveals when we're standing on the rock and when we're not. He shakes the heavens and the earth. And so if you're standing on the rock, you're not jostled. You know, you're not forcibly pushed because you're not in that, that shaking machine. You're standing on the rock. You have your own personal, intimate relationship with God. And, um, and so therefore, it's not... It's not affecting you. You are at rest because you're with God. Now, here is the big bomb of the day. I am actually going to read Deuteronomy 18.22. Sounds very controversial to do it. It seems like um, it's almost, you know, a, a dangerous thing to do. But this is what God is saying right now is read Deuteronomy 18.22. So I think we all know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. So here's Deuteronomy 18.22, and we have... Um, this word presumptuously, which is in Hebrew, Zadon. Zadon, Hebrew 20, 87, 2087. And it also means pride or arrogance. When a prophet speaks a word that does not come to pass or come true, the prophet has spoken it with pride or arrogance. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. And I think, uh, I think it's safe to say most of us know that um, many of our peers in the church 
prophesied that Donald Trump would be reelected. Passionately declaring these things in the name of Jesus, turning their eyes upon the election of humanity and missing the election of God. They produced a harvest of fruit from the phantom zone. Reacting to seemingly plausible events because seeds of truth came from alternate timelines and realities. This lure came from the maze. And it, I, it took them and they took many with them into this pit of deception and once again brought harm to the name of Jesus. You know, when you have people screaming, pounding a Bible, declaring that Donald Trump will be reelected in the name of Jesus in an attempt to what? Overthrow the choice, the free will choices of people in an election? Whereas Paul, who many of them have so revered as the leader of our church, you know, of course, um, we've, we've said that there, there can be a cult of Paul out there. But still, we know and believe that Paul spoke under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I believe the book of Romans is the best New Testament book, non-gospel. I mean, Romans was a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And in Romans 13, Paul goes out of his way to say God is the one who appoints leaders. And um, so how is it possible? Like we said last week, there's no such thing as a stolen election if your choice, your heart, your lives are with God because God is the one who established the leaders. And so... um, Here's the deal. You know, we have a lot of these peers who prophesied this. We've watched over the years, and they've, they have called out people who have fallen. You know, they called out Todd Bentley when he fell, and they made a very large event out of the restoration of those fallen people. And this is a moment where we begin this journey by calling, calling it what it is, just saying it is what it is. There were many, many well-respected teachers, preachers, pastors, authors of books, leaders of ministries, leaders of church, churches who spoke out with a passionate cry in the name of Jesus that Donald Trump will be re-elected. And that was a word of presumption. It was prideful, it was arrogant, it was mistaken, misled, and it was not true. And we're calling it what it is. It's, it is our moment to say that. But the question is, what happens now? Are we going to go to our social media public you know, declarations on Twitter and Instagram saying that, you know, these people and pull out the video, replay the videos and pull out the Bible verses and clearly demonstrate what happens. No, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is speak to the people who are listening to this podcast and say that there are some people listening to this podcast who fell for this deception and went into this pit of deception of the phantom zone with them. And we're calling those people to 
not be restored, but to walk the journey of restoring their hearts back to their own personal, intimate relationship with God and removing this Samuel that's in between them that led them astray. Because we are seeing it. God is speaking it. And our responsibility is to you and to be able to say, God is already in motion. And some of these people, we've seen them publicly repent. And you know what? We salute you. We bless you. We celebrate that that humbleness of repentance because that was the right thing to do. But we can say honestly, not all have. And some are still clinging to this um, stolen election. I'm not, I will never use the word heresy because I hate it, but lie. It's a lie. It was a deception. It goes against everything that we know God to be. And so I said it. So in Isaiah 61 verse 4, once again, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And this journey begins in our own hearts, all of us. We can just be a family in this and say, you know what? Whether it was related to the election or whether it was related to something else, each one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And so we hold ourselves accountable for whatever our sin is, whatever our expressions of selfishness that we have done, whether it was pride, arrogance, and presumption, or whether it was something else. When we have fallen into these things, each one of us is called to our own heart work on the threshing floor, where we find these places, we repent before the Lord, and the ancient places, those places long devastated that we're called to restore, are our own hearts. And if we can be the forthright people of God that begin there, you can rest with assurance God can and will do anything and everything. It's the same Jesus who looked for the repentant heart, you know, and and these miracles are great, but show me a repentant heart. Show me someone who will say, yep, I fell short of the glory. And I have gone to the Lord and I have removed my Samuels. It's between me and you. And I choose to return forward. I choose to come back to Papa. I choose to let El Shaddai, the Holy Spirit of Christ within me, be the navigation that leads me through these days. I choose to trust in my King of kings and Lord of lords, Yeshua HaMashiach, to be the one interceding for me every day because he is establishing, he is establishing the will of the Father. And this is what we must return to and through that we might return forward. So our our call out is not a public spectacle. That's somebody, you know what, that's God's job. God can do, the, can do that. God can take care of those things. But each one of us gets to look in the Jesus mirror and see the log in our own eye and go to God 
and restore that ancient place, which is our own heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to like gulp really hard with my tea just for everyone listening, like the big gulp <laughs> as you were talking. Your winter tea? Yeah. <laughs> Your morning tea? My morning tea, yeah, oh, morning tea. I love morning tea. Yes. So after the podcast last week, I just had this phrase really present, which was, will we be shaken enough to seek him first? Um, Because he is not seeking to harm us. He's inviting us to seek him first in all things and to kind of lay down some of the things that were being sought in his place. And so we, for the podcast, we do it in our in our room, and uh, we have a little nook in our room, a little cubby, and uh, we have a dog. We, <laughs> His name is Jack. He's a part of it. Yeah, he is. But so we have this spot where we we're set for the podcast, and so we've got a, a table here, and it's got uh, different things on it. But a couple of them are from the fitting room. So we have our date night box here. So if anybody that's been to the fitting room knows what that is. And then in a particular fitting room, we we gave each of the couples um, perpetual journals is what we called them. And this was a, a craft project from my heart, which I could, if you could see me, I'd put that in quotes because crafts for me involve paper cutters and stickers and you know there's not a needle and thread or anything but they still look amazing but they turn out they do i love them so the idea of this perpetual journal was that the couples would each um there's a calendar within it so each day they would write um a note to each other and so it's got 12 months in it but you can um at the end of a year you could put those notes in an envelope and then you have those to look back and remember read what you were writing to each other in a certain year that kind of thing and then there's little envelopes so you could mail some of those to each other um so i loved it so much i i made one for us as well (laughs) and and i share that because i guess i've just found myself seeking our perpetual god and um, to do that, I've just been in the stories that have always been here for us to not just read, but receive, to, uh, to take in like communion, like the elements of communion. Um, because every story, every story in scripture is the story of our faithful God. Every single one, every single time. Not one story has ever told of an unfaithful God. But they have often told of an unfaithful people. And, of course, our heart so much is, uh, (laughs) I don't know if this is even a word, but to, uh, in the perpetuation of that, and to have the story be told, returning forward from here, um, of a faithful people who met their faithful God and wouldn't let him go and wanted the world 
to know God was faithful. And of course, that is all throughout our stories too. But but we know the the consistency of a people who struggle to be faithful. You know, um, it's it's part of our ketubah. You know, our covenant with Him. Um, part of those first five chapters of the Torah of the Bible of Scripture tell of of a bride who would struggle to be faithful. Um, and I think that was so highlighted, not that it was um, an inevitable, but it was such an was and is such an invitation as we live in that story and from that story to to have that truth be different related to the bride, related to his people, that the story he's telling is not of an unendingly unfaithful bride, but how the people were able to choose faithfulness and be faithful to him. And because they're faithful to him, they could be faithful to each other. And I think that's, that's what we have before us. That's the ink for the paper that we have to pour out and tell um, to um, be a culmination of the story, to be a revelation that he didn't start this story and he, he isn't hovering above this story of it's always going to be so that my people are unfaithful. He actually knows that there are people and there is a people that will be faithful. And I'm so excited to be able to be part of that story and its telling. And it's so precious to me. And I know precious to us, precious to those that are listening. Mm. So uh, this week, our covenant, and we've had this covenant numerous times over the years, but it was lines. And, or it is lines, because we're still in the week. And I can say that each time he's given that as a covenant, it has meant a completely different thing. Um, and so this week, the word for lines in Hebrew is chut, to C-H-U-T, um, which is from an unused root, which means to sew. So it's a thread, it's a cord, it's a line, but it's one with which you sew. And I think I just had it in my heart knowing that that now we're, we're in the days of sewing, you know, and that can be S. E W and S O W, and so he took me to a place that that word was used, and it's it's a story and a part of scripture that we've been in and out of quite a bit over the past podcast, and that's the book of Amos. So I want to tell you about that the line of Amos, but I want to just give you a little um, perspective of. Amos, which which we have um, a bit. I just want to. I just love to give context to the content. It's it's one of my favorite things. So if I was gonna nutshell Amos just for a real quick um, bite, it would be Amos was ever inviting the people to stop dragging God while they were kicking and screaming into what they wanted. And instead, allow him to draw them to the place where response was needed. So stop reacting and trying to draw God 
while you're kicking and screaming into your reaction, but allow him to draw you to him and to the place that a response is needed. Amos, his story and the story he was part of telling was at a time when there's great prosperity for the Israelites. Um, They're not having to worry about their external enemies. Uh, We've talked about it in another podcast, but Assyria is fighting amongst themselves. They're not worried about Israel, um, who was one of their, you know, biggest enemies. And so Amos and the other prophets are trying to talk to God's people about the war within, the war within uh, the people and the war within each person and trying to draw them from that war into a place of peace and understanding the peace that they could bring. At the time of Amos, there's there's this prosperity and there's there's something uh, really what's being contended with is this wealthy elite, uh, a, a group of people that are kind of um, instigating the war among the people. So um, Amos was a shepherd. He was a farmer. He tended to the fig trees, which fig trees... The covenant is maturity. So he tended to maturity. He was really inviting the people to mature. And he came from this small town called Tekoa. Um, it's T-E-K-O-A, so probably not pronounced correctly. That's okay. Um, but it was 12 miles southeast of Jerusalem and 5 miles south of Bethlehem. And because of the geography he was in, when he comes to give these words of the Lord, he, he probably had an accent, and um, which made him can be considered an outsider and, and probably unwelcome. So he was born in the southern kingdom, but he was given the task to speak God's word to the northern kingdom. So just his, his presence and his journey was a shaking. And they, they didn't want him there. They tried to run him out of town. And um, he was faithful, and he just stayed right where Papa had him. So um, at the time of Amos, he really is trying to speak to a people that there's an invitation to live in authentic worship and with just behavior with behavior that is just and uh, much about the widows the orphans those foreign to the soil even as he is foreign to the place he's speaking to um the time is a time period of great greed very greedy um and a lot of social inequality so the elite ruled and few trusted the information they were being given And so this was a time when government lost touch with the people. And one of the prophecies I received from this for myself and for us is that when when government loses touch is when we come to lay hands and to lay hands on what God is doing, what is in His heart, 
and multiply it. But to do that, we have to know what he's saying. We have to know where he's drawing us to instead of trying to drag him. We, we've got to be a people who are drawn. So one of the things that is described in Amos, it's a time when many people talked, but few listened. And it, it's described as an angry time, period, uh, in the story. Too many people felt that they were right, and they wouldn't consider another's viewpoint. So they were very staunch. There was great political anguish and contradiction in the days of Amos. Uh, any minor issue became a political debate. The people believed every rumor they heard. So in the end, they believed nothing. Too many had lost perspective on what was important and what wasn't. So Israel was very prosperous, but only a few controlled the wealth, and their, their goal was to try to keep it from those who really needed it. Um, those who, who spoke about helping those in need often ended up hurting them. And um, it was said of these days that politicians, so there were politicians then, <laughs> tore each other apart. And there was a quote, and I, I didn't write down who said it, and sorry about that, but they tore each other apart in what was called a war of all against all. So our God desires all to know him that glory that covers the earth he longs for all to know him but if we're in a war of all against all and we've got everything is about war or a rumor of war in that day it was said that people believed every rumor so then in the end they believed nothing so i i can see a lot of our story in this story and Papa speaking to us the elite that were were here were convinced that their actions were not hypocritical at all they were just and it was a day when politics took precedence over people politics was far more important that the people than the people that the government was meant to serve and help and so those who were in need just were languishing while the elite were looking for moral high ground, a place from which to judge who had need and who didn't, who, whose need was real, whose wasn't, and a place to be separate from those who had need. And Amos realized that change couldn't happen when those that were in authority, these who, who had the, the place to speak and the power and all of that wouldn't recognize their error uh, because they had lost touch with those in need. Um, they saw themselves as invincible. God was going to do this for them that they couldn't respond to the invisible. They couldn't respond to the unseen. But Amos knew, Amos had a lot of hope, actually. Um, so though he had a lot to say, and, and he was drawing, his heart was to draw the people back to God, he, he wasn't hopeless. He was a very hopeful prophet. He knew that 
that this was a special people he was talking to, maybe even a peculiar people he was talking to because uh, a chosen people, a called people, um, they're not the ones that get a free pass from what is happening in the world around them. They're the ones who are invited to respond to those that God cares for. That's what it means to be special, to be chosen, to be called. It doesn't mean to be exempt. It means to be invited deep into the story. And so Amos knew that they were meant to be a light to the nations through righteousness and justice. And he, when he was speaking to the people, he saw the people and the land. This is a farmer, you know. Um, he saw both the people and the land as holy. And I think that's how we all see it, too. You know, this isn't about removal. It's about return. Returning to the holy place that we've been entrusted with to tend and steward and to care for um, and to realize uh, we're part of a continuing story. We're heirs of the story. We're heirs of the prophecies that are throughout Scripture. And we can get so focused on the prophet of today that, that we forget we're heirs of every prophecy that ever was spoken in Scripture in our story ever and we get to carry those on um we don't want to lose perspective of what was important and what wasn't so um so amos had this you know incredible message he talked to the people about not having worship without sacrifice don't don't just come and play your instruments draw near draw near to the lord really reveal who it is you're worshiping. Um, are you worshiping God? Or are you worshiping uh, what you can get for yourself? So all throughout Amos, he, he's telling this the same story. And I'm going to take us to Amos 7, but I want to go through a little bit of his story first. So he consistently is telling Israel that they're mistreating those in need. And don't just think of when the word needy or poor is said, don't just think of somebody who doesn't have money or someone that's living in poverty. So we have to look at words like orphan and widow and foreign and dive into those and see the fullness of what those mean. Would a baby whose life could be taken through abortion not be an orphan like we have to see the bigger context of this those are orphans mm -hmm. we contend for the orphans mm -hmm. and and so that they have home mm -hmm. you know um so there's there's much context and we've got to start going <coughs> beyond what it has to mean to us and look to what it means to him mm -hmm. and not think something was left out it wasn't nothing was left out so Amos often speaks to the people of the Exodus. And so um, he basically says, even though God has liberated you from Egyptian slavery, that the, the and he called them the social elites of the day, are reenacting Pharaoh's injustices. 
and don't don't be part of that. And one of the things he was really saying is God, your God, has revealed himself as a liberator. So we know however God has revealed himself, we're revealed as that too. So if God is revealed as a liberator, we're revealed as liberators. We're revealed as those who free. Those who are free and those who free. But in this day of Amos, the people had become oppressors. And who were they oppressing? Assyria? Or, you know, one of the nations that had been against them? No, they were oppressing each other. And, and Amos really spoke to that. Um, he, he spoke to the truth that covenant faithfulness wasn't just about each person's relationship with God and being in, in a connected communion relationship with God, but with each other too. And so he's really speaking to the unfaithfulness of the people to God, but also to each other because they're not unified. They're not one. They're not caring for each other. They're not considering each other. Um, they're only seeing how what they choose affects them and not that it could have a consequence for another person. Um, so he goes on in, in Amos, Amos 2, he talks about these three transgressions and then he says, and four, and whenever, something I learned as I was studying, whenever that happens, when it's like these three things, no, four, that's a, a Hebrew idiom which highlights the unfaithfulness of the people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really like, you've been unfaithful. And so he speaks to selling righteousness for silver, selling the needy for a pair of sandals. And so um, at that time, there was people, people, humans were being bought for labor, for sexual exploitation. Um, and so Amos is speaking to that as we speak to that in our day, yes. you know. Um, and then he, he was saying, you have so little value of those. And again, think of need not as those who need money or food, but those who need God. There are people who need God, and they need to know He is near. And that gets revealed through you, but you're not willing to spend your inheritance. Remember, remember <laughs> blah, sandals or inheritance. You're not willing to spend your inheritance to reveal that God meets every need for every person that needs Him. So he, he's speaking to them about forgetting who God is. And if you forget who God is, you forget what he cares about. And he's trying to draw them back. Who is God to you? We can get in a lot of fights about what we believe about this thing or that thing. But if we really share who God is to us and what we've seen him do, who we know him to be, we can't forget what he cares about. And so you come to Amos 5 and recognize that there's a people who don't like to be corrected. Um, (laughs) Hello. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't want to be scolded. They don't like to be corrected. It is said that they despise the one who reproves in the gate or those who speak truth about injustice. Mm -hmm. And so Amos says it's it's an evil time during when the prudent will keep silent. And Amos is not speaking about passivity at all. 
um, he's advising a faithful people not to participate in in this rhetoric that is rampant in their land and and kind of implying all is well or if this one thing happens all will be well but to really recognize what is truly happening around them and and see what their part is see what their response is Uh, he spoke to them about responding to evil and what Amos prophesied was the greatest response to evil would be from a people who knew they would need to change their own ways before they could change anything else. They would need, you know, what you've already said, to look at their hearts, to do their heart work, because it would lead them to seek good and not evil. Realize if if we're looking to other sources for what to do, what to believe, what to react to, that it is a seeking of evil instead of seeking good. But he was encouraging them to seek good that Yahweh would be present in their midst. And isn't that what we want? Um, Isn't that what we've been saying, that we seek him first? Why? So we always recognize him where he is and what he's doing so we can be part of it. So he was Amos was inviting the people to move in a direction that, that was opposite to the, to the one that they were heading in. Um, and this was those trying to separate themselves and find this high ground where they could be separate and just uh, actually not respond to the needs of the people, not respond to people who needed God not um, be there to reveal God is with us. He's here. So, and then Amos goes on to talk about the uh, people who claim God is with them, but they're truly oppressing those God is trying to meet. But they're, And they're doing it in the name of God. They're using His name for it. I just take this so to heart when when I say God is with me, when I say God is with us, when we say that, it should have a bearing on his actual whereabouts. Like when we say God is with us, somebody near us looking towards us should be able to see that God is there. It can't just be a declaration. It's got to be evident in what's happening in his people, among his people, that he is there. And so we come to um, verse 24 of chapter 5, which is a very famous uh, verse quoted much. Martin Luther King said this verse many times, but it's, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. So we have to always remember when a prophet is speaking to a people, he's speaking to the situation they're in. And so he's not using words they're not going to understand. They actually spoke very clearly. So when he says this, they're in a season where rainfall was scarce. There wasn't a lot of rain. Um, Their drought was common in these days. And so when rain would fall, it would fall heavy and it would land on these parched places but it was difficult for that water to penetrate the land and so 
the ground couldn't absorb it, so the water would be fast or forcefully running water, and it would create these temporary rivers. And they carved out large gullies, and it was called a, a wadis, W-A-D-I-S, into the ground. So this is what Amos had in mind when he spoke. And so this justice and this righteousness that he's speaking of, he's, he's asking the people, don't let this occasionally be your behavior. Always live his will his way. In this, but let justice roll down. We often say this like it's this demand of God. Oh, God, let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness be like an overflowing stream. And we make that as if that's something he alone needs to do. And we miss it's who he's called us to be. That we would act justly and we would walk in his ways. And we wouldn't do that occasionally. We wouldn't do that or feel called to that only when it's a certain season uh, in our story, but that it would be um, ever-present. It would be always what what we're walking in. Justice and righteousness aren't seasonal. Um... It's to always flow. It never stops moving for those who have need of God, that they can have a drink. And we're not here to create temporary rivers through the force of this thing or that thing. We reveal His ever-flowing streams as we act justly and we walk righteously. As we follow His will, His way, we respond to those that he cares about and whose need he knows need to be met. And we don't try to separate ourselves from that need and judge if it should be a need or not. We act justly because he's called us to. So now to Amos 7. (laughs) So there's a word used for lines in Amos 7, and it's anak, and it's only used here. And it, it means... Uh, it's from an unused root, and it means to be narrow or to be willing to go through the narrow way. Um, it's described as a plumb line, but the way Amos describes it, to some it's a plumb line, and to others it's a hook. So in Amos 7, 7 through 8, he talks about this. He says, Behold, I saw this thing. I experienced the Lord, and I want to share this experience with you. The Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a line in his hand. And he said to me, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will not pass by again. So the this word for line, anak, means lead, a lead line. So, so again, Amos is, is talking to a people who have reached this real peak in prosperity, but they're at an all-time low of devotion to God. And he's trying, they're out of sync, and he's trying to bring them back. Um, And people are starting to see that God's judgment would be better than what they're experiencing at the hands of each other because that judgment is going to bring deliverance, and they could actually be delivered from this. So the wall that is spoken about that Amos saw the Lord standing on is Homa, and it's a wall of protection. It's in Greek, it's an indestructible place. 
a place that cannot be torn down. So this um, is often described as uh, the way um, a mother cares for a child. It's, it's rahem, it's that type of love. So this word has a connection in, in uh, Aramaic and in all different writings and oral tradition. It was a very important word that was just used here. And it doesn't, we think of the plumb line as a measuring stick or a, that kind of thing. But what it means, a knock means to polish, to finish or polish, mm. to, um, to shine or to bring out the shine or glow through a polishing procedure. So what God was saying to Amos that he was sharing is God wants to complete you so he can reveal you. Mm. He actually wants you to shine for him. He wants you to be the evidence that he's on the earth. He wants you to be the evidence that he meets needs. And not just meets needs, he meets every need. There is no need he won't meet. And and he's not asking you to, to equate and you know calculate the, the need. He's asking you to respond when he invites you to see the need and that you would be seen like him so when you come to that need people know it's him that person knows it's him meeting the need not you him that god has met the need and so one of the the deeper meanings of the word anak is to it says this to polish one must oppress the vessel Rub it hard to remove all its impurities so it will shine again. So that's what Amos is saying. There is an oppression here, but it's God rubbing hard to remove all your impurities so you will shine again. Because He trusts you to shine. We've been talking about that. He trusts you to reveal Him, to represent Him. So He says, I will set an oppressor so that I can bring something good. And at the same time that you're feeling this rubbing, I'm revealing what is really oppressing. I'm revealing the oppressor too, so people will know the difference. I'm revealing what is truly oppressing. I'm just using it to rub you the right way so that you shine. Um, yeah. That is what I have to say. Well, that was super redemptive. <laughs> good, good. awesome. Yeah. Wow. I don't mind getting polished. Yeah. I want to be polished. You know, um, a, a, a final sentence, if you will. Just because Saul put Samuel in between him and God doesn't mean that Samuel wasn't called of God to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. And Amos was called of God to be a prophet. Isaiah was called of God to be a prophet. And the prophets were the ones that that reminded us all of, of these things. You know, mm-hmm. that number one, first and foremost, pointed the people back to God. Seek first God. Seek first the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Look at God's face. Go have that own personal, intimate relationship with God. But, you know, sometimes they also spoke God's words. You know, mm-hmm. they absolutely did. But um, but a person who is standing on the rock, you know, knows mm-hmm. this is, this is 
this is God's word. And, uh, and so, yeah, Amos is, um, Amos has just been, I think, a real uh, gift to us mm-hmm. in this season. Mm-hmm. And I'll be very interested in seeing what more God unpacks mm-hmm. from Amos yes. in the next yeah. days, weeks, months, years. Yeah. For now, let us be liberators. Yes. Yep. Yay. Yay. We love you. We really do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for writing. Feedback is lovely. Yeah. It doesn't have to be good feedback. <laughs> just be feedback. Nice, but we like good, good feedback. Yeah, we, we like that. Good but feedback. we know it may not all be. Yeah. But we love you. We no really do. <laughs> We'll talk to you soon. Bye.